in the book of Joshua. Today we're going to be in again in chapter number one. You're going to be in verses 10 through 15 when we actually get to that. But as, as introduction, we're going to do a little bit of review of what we've been talking about. Now last week, as we were entering in, the, we're working in this study. Last week our message was called Strength and Courage. And what we were talking about is the transition that God had made from where He had been encouraging God's people in the beginning in those first uh, several verses. But then when He got to verse number 6, He then shifted from simply encouraging then to giving them a plan of action, literally challenging them to, to do God's will. And we saw that there was four different parts of God's challenge. And we'll break them down today briefly just to make sure that we're all up to speed. The first one was that God would keep, that He would keep God's promise. This is in regards to making sure that the inheritance was distributed to the people. Verse number 6 said this, Be strong and of a good courage. Be unto this people, shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And we're going to see the beginning of that process actually starting today. And we're going to witness. So there was, first of all, they were to keep God's promise. And then secondly, they were to keep God's law in leading the people to live according to God's will to live lives that would bring glory and honor to God. Verse number 7 said this, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. So keep God's law. Then we saw thirdly that he was instructing them to keep God's word. To keep God's word. Now this was about loving God's commandment, honoring God's Word. And we saw how the Lord broke that down into three different components. Okay, In review, what we did was we talked at the first one, which was he was, to, they, he was told, first of all, to make God's Word a part of who he was. Then secondly, he was to take God's Word and pray over it. That would speak to his heart. And then the last one was that he would turn around and he would apply it. Right? So he would love God's Word, make it a part of who he was. He would pray over God's Word, that it would speak to him, and then he would apply it in our lives. And we all need to be listening to that one, right? Every one of those principles are things we need to do on a daily basis. Because remember, honoring God's Word is the key to a successful walk with God. If you want to have a relationship with the Lord that is fulfilling and strong and developed, it will come through your time in His Word. So you must love His Word. So we're to keep God's Word. And then the fourth one was God's recognition or God's uh, challenge to Joshua was to keep His faith keep his faith. Because guess what? This life is not always easy. This life sometimes kicks us and knocks us down, and sometimes we can lose faith. He said in verse number 9, He says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And as the Lord was challenging Joshua, saying, Look, I know what's to come. I know what you face. But don't be afraid. Have faith. Don't lose your faith. And it will be his reliance upon God and his willingness not only to hear the Lord, but to trust the Lord that is going to be the strength in Joshua's life. And we see as they're preparing here to go into the promised land, what we find is that God's constantly pointing to his track record. Okay, We all have a track record with God. If you've been saved for any period of time, you've seen God intervene in your life. You've seen God be faithful. And what we find is he's simply reassuring him. He's saying, look, not only am I going to be there for you, but guess what? Not only that, he says, but my power, my strength, I'm steadfastly with you. And he's giving him clear directions, saying, hey, Joshua, now is your time to move forward. And this is an important reminder that we go back to this principle here. Remember the fact that we talked about this several weeks ago. Why did God bring them out of Egypt? To get them into Canaan, okay? To get them into Canaan. Leviticus 25, 38. Here's God says it himself. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. Okay, okay I did that. Why? To give you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. So the Lord says, look, 
the leaving was not the important part about the Exodus. That's where we get hung up on. We get all hung up on the leaving part. And, you know, I mean, it's praise the Lord. If you're saved, praise the Lord. But look at this. He says, I have brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan. So it's not the exit out of Egypt that's relevant or that's most important. It's the entry into Canaan. Okay? That was God's purpose and God's plan. Recognize the fact that the journey of these Israelites is a picture of the Christian life. And if we understand that, always taking that when we look at, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, we saw that example. And what did it say? It says that their life were examples for us. Their journey is an example for you. It's almost like a lens that we look at. So when we read their story, we see ourselves in the story. And this is an important component. So as we learn this stuff, don't just take it as historical lessons going, oh, great, good to know what happened to them. Know that God's talking about us. He's talking about us. The Exodus, right? This is this. Josh was trying to take a stiff-necked people, and he's trying to redirect them and help them to get out of the mindset of going, look, it's not about your escape from where you came from. It's about where it is God wants us to be, right? That's what he's trying to direct them. And he's telling the same thing to us. The possession of the land, that's the key. It's not the exit. And this is so essential for us to understand because there are people, if you say, hey, you know what? Man, tell me your testimony. What's God done in your life? Well, brother, 30 years ago, the good Lord came down and he saved me. And I miss hell. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, that's true. Praise the Lord. Yes. But isn't that just the exit? Yeah. Isn't that just the exit? I got out of the bondage I was in. Praise the Lord. Freed from the sin. Hey, I miss hell. Praise the Lord. That's what God did. Yeah. So now what have you done? Right. Well, what about the other half of the story? What happened there? And we get so hung up on that aspect of it that we miss sight of what it's all about. He said, I got you out not to get you free. I got you out to get you in. Amen. Right? And what we find is here's the wilderness. What does the wilderness do? It gets the Egypt out of us. It gets the world out of us. It beats it out of us. We go through situations and, and challenges, and what do they do? They, they cause us to be on our knees before the Lord. And it allows us to develop our faith and become who it is God's called us to be. And what we find is the fact that as God's working in our lives, Scripture always, always, always gives examples, right? Always gives examples, things to help us visualize things. Remember, the Old Testament is the picture book. The New Testament is where you hear a principle in word, but the Old Testament is where you see a picture of it, right? So when God's teaching a principle, there's a picture. There's a picture in the Old Testament that you can tie together. This Exodus story is the picture. This is the storybook, so we get to see it. But what we find is God takes and uses marriage as the example, okay? And the reality, I mentioned this before. Listen, it's in Genesis 2.24. It says there, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay? A picture of marriage. And what you find is that's in Ephesians chapter number 5. Down verse, we go to verse, uh, verses 22 through 33. What you'll find is God sort of lays out the roles in Ephesians 5 of a husband and a wife. This is how you function. This is your responsibilities. This is what you should do. And then what we find is when we follow that down and you get all the way down now to verse 32, he kind of tells you, hey, guess what? I'm teaching you something. There's something bigger here. This ain't just a lesson for marriage counseling. This is something else. Ephesians 5.32 says this. This is a great mystery. Okay, I'm getting ready to reveal something to you. Pay attention. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Amen. Our relationship is like a marriage where the Lord is the groom. And who are we? The bride. We're the bride. We're the bride of Christ. And we look at the responsibilities that he lays out how we should function as a bride. 
And we look at our life and go, what? Is, is that me? But what happens? I want you to picture a scene, okay? We all, who's ever known somebody like a young person getting married, right? A young woman. Are they excited? Yeah. Oh, man, there's that giddy energy. <laughs> I'm going to pick out the dress. Oh, picking out the flowers, doing all this stuff. She's so excited, right? She's fired up. She's excited. She's talking to her friend. She's posting on Facebook. And what if the posts are this? Man, in four more days, I get to leave my parents home. I'll finally be set free. Thank God for marriage. <laughs> Let's say the groom is reading the posts. And he's going, <laughs> what about me? Are you excited about being with me? No, no, I just can't wait to get out of my parents' house. I will be finally free of the bondage I've been all these years. Finally, thank God for marriage, I'm going to be out of that place. Now, if you're the groom, what are you doing? We need to talk. I mean, uh, am I just a, a vehicle to get you out of where you're, in, where you're at? But what does it say? It says you're supposed to, you leave unto, and then you go to, to what? With, the, with your spouse. You leave and then you cleave. cleave. The cleaving. Guess what? That's a picture. You leave Egypt to cleave to Canaan, right? And here we are. We're the bride. We're the bride. And imagine if that was the mindset that we had in our marriage. The joy of the marriage is not the leaving. The joy is the cleaving. It's the two becoming one. It's the relationship. It's the love. It's the trust. It's the, the honesty. It's this beautiful life that is created as the two come together. And God's saying, that's what you're supposed to be doing. This is your picture. Look at the Israelites and guess what? This is supposed to be you. And what happens is as God has worked in us, what many times happens to us in our Christian life is we get out and then we just kind of make ourselves comfortable. We're just kind of good with being out. We're not going to work on a relationship much. We're not going to communicate with our spouse. We're not going to listen to our spouse. We're not going to work on a relationship. And then we expect for this thing to succeed. There are marriages that are struggling right now. You know why? Because people don't know how to communicate. My wife and I struggled for years because we didn't understand how to be honest with each other. We didn't know how to communicate with each other. We were filled up with pride. And what does God do with pride? He destroys it. So guess what? He brings cataclysmic situations in your life. And guess what it does? It gets you. It causes you to reevaluate your reality. And go, what's truly important in this life? Peter and I were just talking about it. They're building a new house. Praise the Lord as God's providing the opportunity. But if you fall in love with your house, and you spend so much time and energy on your house, that you lose sight of the people that live in it. Yeah. There are people that are so concerned with the things they have instead of the people that live with them. Yeah. Listen, if the place burns down and your children and your family are safe, praise God, man. That's where we need to spend our time and energy. We invest in people, not in things, but we're in a world and a culture of materialism. We're in a world and culture all about fulfilling self and about becoming wealthy and successful and raising a name for ourselves. But no. When you're on your deathbed, it will not matter how many followers you had, because guess what? They ain't showing up. That's right. You know who will? The people we neglect many times. The people that we did not love. The people we did not care for as we should have. Why not invest in them now? While well, God gives us the time. And here we are. Joshua's at the, they're getting ready, man. They're at the border. They're close. They're very, very close. And what happens here? The goal of the Exodus is nothing more than getting them into Canaan. It was never, ever about getting them out. All that was was a means to an end. God's trying to get them where they need to be. It's all about this relationship. 
So finally here, as they're getting close to the promised land, Joshua's stepping up into his role, right? We know he's been struggling with some personal doubts. We know he's been struggling with some stuff. But guess what? Now he's going to step up and he's going to speak in our message today, which is titled, Almost. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, God, for giving us what you've given us. Uh, Lord, I have prayed over this message, and Lord, I've asked you to speak to me, and I am confident that you have. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit that dwells within us to help us to discern it. Thank you, Lord, for the cross-references in scripture that help us to prove points and understand it. God, I pray that you use me as a vessel today, Lord, that I might vanish. God, I do not want to be heard. I want to get out of the way. Lord, that you would speak to all of us. Lord, help my heart to be open and receptive. Help us, God, to be have ears to hear, Lord, that the word would not simply inform us about Joshua's journey and the journey of the Israelites, but, Lord, it would be transformative as we would see ourselves in them. Thank you for today. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in, as I said, Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. And here Joshua's going to speak up, man. All of his senses, all of his sense of inadequacy and all that stuff he struggled with, guess what? He's going to get past it. Verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host. When you hear the word host, what that means is the encampment. Pass through the people. And command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and to the half the tribe of Manasseh, spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest, and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your, and your cattle shall remain in the, in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them until the day, until the Lord hath given, given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. And, they, and then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the sunrise. So what we're going to see in this passage is there are going to be three different parts of God's plan for them to get into Canaan. So first we see this preparation. They're laying out the battle plan, more or less. And we see here, first of all, Joshua's very first thing is he orders his leadership. He tells them, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. He has taken his leadership role. So the first thing we're going to notice is the positioning of Joshua. Number one, the positioning of Joshua. Now as we recall, Keep in mind, Joshua's not necessarily wasn't really shooting for this job. He wasn't like, man, choose me, I want to be the guy. No, Joshua has a lot of issues that he's struggling with. These things, these, uh, this issue of, of fears and doubts and why we've seen God again and again and again encouraging him. We saw Moses encouraging him. Encouraging him. But what's interesting about it is the fact that Joshua's mentor, Moses, guess what? He struggled with self-doubt exactly the way that Joshua did. Remember, way back at the burning bush, way back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, this was after God brought in the challenge and said, hey, this is what you're going to do, Moses. Moses said this, and Moses said unto God, who am I? <laughs> who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? <clears throat> Hello, me? And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And what does God do over the next 30 or so verses? He encourages them. Hey, you're not going to be alone. I'm going to go with you. The very same thing that we see happening with Joshua is the very same thing that happened to Moses. Joshua will develop into a leader. If you're fearful now, hey, you know what? That's okay. Let God develop you. Let him show you his faithfulness. And what we saw here, what does God say to Joshua? Be strong and of a good courage. Then he tells him of the power that he's going to have his power and his protection and his presence. Remember in Joshua 1.5. 
There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses. The same way I encouraged him, the same way I helped him to become that great man of God, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And the principle that we can apply here to our lives is look at this. If God calls us to do something, he will empower us to succeed. If God calls us to do something, He will empower us to succeed. And this is something we need to all be mindful of. Not only are there examples throughout Scripture, but understand the fact that God is trying to... Look at, listen to the example. Look, consider this. Look at what God tells to the disciples, okay? Jesus calls the disciples, John 15, 16. He says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, right? I've ordained you to do great things, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. It's basically saying, look, and if you surrender your will to mine, guess what? I will empower you to succeed. You surrender to me, and guess what? You're going to see me do great and mighty things. If your prayers align with my will, consider them done, okay? Consider them done. The concerns that they're going to have, because guess what? They're human beings. We think of the disciples, and we want to put them on pedestals as if they're something superhuman, and they're just men. They're just men. They have fears and doubts and their own issues, their own failures, their own faults. You know, you want to find out how, how human they are. Watch Peter's life. Peter's got chronic foot and mouth disease. Every time he turns around, it's like, oh. I mean, he just says he is a wild man. But what we find is the fact that God's saying, look, you know what? You need not worry about the circumstance. You need not worry about the situation. What I need you to do is if I've, if I've called you to do this, I'm going to empower you to do so. We get so hung up on the short term. We get so hung up on things that we see. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God's saying, listen, you worry about your heart. Okay? You worry about your heart. And if you worry about your heart, guess what? All that stuff that you're worried about and all these things shall be added unto you. I'll handle all that stuff. In John 15, as he continues to challenge them, what you'll find is he's always constantly going back to their hearts. Addressing the heart, addressing the heart, addressing the heart. What does he say in Matthew 15, 17? These things I command you, that you love one another. You're all worried about the things of this earth, the temporal stuff that I will take care of. What I need you to do is focus on your hearts. Focus on your love of your brothers. And it's this struggle that we're going to see. The struggle that, that, that we see in the Israelites, that we see in us. It's this same struggle between the lure of the world and the impact it has on us, and our willingness to fulfill and do God's will. Okay, That's the struggle that we're going to examine today. Verse 11, pass through the hosts and command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God hath, God giveth you to possess it. So the second thing we see, the second thing we see here, so we see God's positioning of Joshua, but then we see the plan for God's people. Now, the plan is going to have three parts to it. Joshua's telling, notice, first of all, he's telling his leaders to go out and relay the message. He's not telling them himself. He's relaying it through them. Joshua's plan, first of all, is to, letter A, prepare them. Now, they got three days to pack and organize and get ready to go. Think about this. This has been 40 years in the, com in the making. They've been all this preparation and excitement. Can you imagine you're with your friend Josiah and Bob over here, and you're packing up your tent, and you're getting your stuff, and making sandwiches, and, you know, pass the peanut butter, dude. Yeah, and you're, you're getting stuff together, and you're preparing for this journey. They're going, man, can you believe it? Three days, man. Three days, we're going to be in Canaan. All that we've seen, all that we've been through, now we're finally 
going to see it. This is our big moment. Joshua stepped up, man. He's now our leader. Did you see him commanding the, the leadership? Did you see him up there calling out? This is it, man. Everybody's getting rallied up. We're getting ready to make this thing happen. And what's interesting about the three days? Three days shows up in Scripture 75 different times. It's always tied to a time of preparation and transition. What we see, think about this. Think about whenever, when, uh, when, when, uh, when Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac on the third day. Think about Jonah in the belly of the whale on his fish excursion out having some fun. He's in the belly of the whale for three days, right? Think about that. And both of those men, guess who they picture? The Lord Jesus Christ. And what do we find? Jesus is put in the ground. How many days? Three days before he resurrects. So this aspect of the three days, and here they are. They're getting ready to cross over Jordan. This is the border of the promised land. And then the next thing we see is that letter B, he points them. God's, uh, Joshua's plan was to point them. Ye shall pass over this Jordan. You're going to pass over this Jordan. Now the Jordan is the eastern boundary of Canaan. It's about 124 miles long. What's interesting is it's only about, it ranges between two feet and six feet deep, and it's only 100 feet wide. You could throw a rock over it, no problem. But that Jordan is important because guess what? It, shows, it plays a prominent role throughout Scripture. You see it in the Old Testament throughout. You see it as the border, but no out. That's the very place when Jesus decides to appear and show himself. And John says, look, behold, the Lamb of God, which comes to take away the sins of the world. In John 1, guess where they're at? The Jordan River. Guess where Jesus will get baptized? In the Jordan River. So this thing is important. And here it is, man. They're getting ready to cross. And then letter C. They shall possess. Joshua's plan is that they shall possess the land. To go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Now this is a matter of holding onto God's promise and fulfilling God's promise. He knows this is their reality. This is what's to happen. He's been prepared for this for four decades. He's been waiting. He was ready way back in the beginning. Let's do this thing. But the people wouldn't listen. Now that whole generation is dead, and here they are. But not only was he ready back then, I want you to understand, if you go back in Scripture and you track it, back in Exodus 13.5 is the very first time that we know that this, this uh, promise is received by Joshua to be able to hear it. God's given us the land. And if you go through and you count every single one of the instances, which I did, there's 93 of them. And 93 times, all the way up to Exodus number 33, actually uh, Deuteronomy 33 you'll find 93 different times where Joshua would have heard from either God or from Moses, hey, I've given it to you. It's yours. It's yours. You will possess it. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. And then now in Joshua, we've already seen three times where he's heard it himself personally. So here Joshua has heard it, and he's going, you know what? It's how about time we take what we've heard and let's do it, right? Let's make God's promise a reality. And this is the question for us. Are we doing that? Yeah. We all can tell about God's promises, but do we work on making them a reality? Or do we just know about them? Oh, man, I'm, you know, we've been talking about holding on to God's promises. We've been talking about, you know, trusting in God's promises. But how about living your life intentionally to experience God's promises, right? This, this is the issue. We, we consider the fact that God's wanting us to, to live our lives out based upon the trust that we have in Him. That He's saying, look, you know what? You need not be fearful. You need not to have this lack of faith. You need to be walking by faith and simply searching to fulfill my will for you. God has this plan for us, and it's all thing. It's all about trying to get us into Canaan. Here's this thing, trying to get you to cleave to what is good. 
Leave behind what you had before and cleave on to what God has prepared for us. See, it's one thing to talk about. It's one thing to understand. But it's another thing altogether to do it. The Bible tells us in that 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, if we walk by faith and not by sight. And man, that rolls off the tongue easy, doesn't it? Walk by faith and not by sight. Hey, brother, walk by faith, not by sight. You know it, brother. You too, man. Sounds good. Sounds godly, right? But is that how we live? Honestly, listen to what that says. Walk by faith, not by sight. Are we really confidently trusting God, walking into situations with faith in our hearts? Or do we walk into situations with our eyes wide open, overwhelmed by what we see, and allowing our emotions to grab a hold of us, so we find ourselves in fear, and what does fear do? It affects our faith, and all of a sudden, guess what? I'm not walking in faith. I'm walking by what I see. My responses say that I'm not walking by faith. The things that come out of my mouth say I'm not walking by faith. The way I look, the way I act, the things I do, they all say, guess what? You're not walking by faith. You're walking by sight, which is the exact opposite of what we are to do. Yet, most of us live our lives Stuck in that mess. What does it say in Hebrews 11.1? 1? It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You're not basing your faith upon what you see. You're basing your faith upon what you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what God keeps telling Joshua. Yeah. Hey, listen. Remember who I am. It's going to be scary. <laughs> the, the walls of Jericho, guess what? They are massive. They'll be the biggest walls you've ever seen. You're not going to imagine the power of the things you're going to come across. But I've already given them to you. I've already given them to you. Don't worry about what you see, Joshua. Just do on what I tell you. Follow the truth of who I am, not your circumstance. Because what allows happens to you and I is we allow things to be, affect us, right? If we go to the book of Lamentations and we go to verse three or chapter 3, verse 51. Think about this. Here's Jeremiah, right? What's happened to Jeremiah? His world is falling apart around him. They're under persecution. Everything's going wrong. Jeremiah's this great man of God. He's this great prophet of God. He knows what he should be doing. And what does he say in Jeremiah 3, or Lamentations 3.51? Mine eye affecteth mine heart. Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. I look at what's going on around me. And guess what? I'm becoming fearful. My faith is shaken. I'm struggling. This is a great prophet of God who heard directly from the Lord himself, and God used him to write portions of the scripture. Yet, here he is, affected by what he sees. So we're not the only ones. If you're going, man, I stink, I can't do this. Guess what? Join the crowd, we all struggle with this. None of us have risen beyond that. We struggle with our flesh, but the whole thing is, as we allow faith to work its way subtly into our life, or doubt to work its way into our life, it wavers and affects our faith. I want you to understand that faith and doubt cannot live together. They cancel one another. It's like truth and a lie. They don't live together. There is no partial truth. You know, I mean, I did take your stuff, but I didn't. I don't want to. I mean, well, maybe I guess it makes sense. I can't say, hey, I totally trust you. Hey, dude, take my car. Here you go. I'm like, I will look out the window, watching you pull out. I might have done. I might let you take the car. 
But that didn't mean I was like, Duh, I'm not worried about it. It's good. If I'm out there watching you crank it and watch you back up and I'm tracking you down the road, I don't trust you. <laughs> Honey, would you follow him just to make sure? Because I either trust you or I don't trust you. 1% faith doesn't exist. It's either 100% faith or zero. Because there is no 99% faith. There is no partial faith. You either have faith or you don't. Right. And so what happens with most of us, because we have fear in our life and fear is the very thing that affects our faith, then we start to flounder and we start to falter. And those promises that we're supposed to be holding on to, we let go. And we allow what we see to affect us. Are we living our lives confidently and intentionally trusting in God's promise? Theoretically, very easy to do. Application, much, much more difficult. So as Joshua's walking in, as they're preparing to cross the Jordan, it's not his confidence in the army. It's not the strength of the soldiers. It's not the skill of the, of, the, of the infantry. It's not that at all. It's a matter of him saying, look, I'm not trusting in me. I'm trusting in God. His circumstances do not weigh into the equation. And this is huge for us. Realize the fact that God versus anything or anyone equals victory for God. Amen. <laughs> There's no one stronger. There's no one who knows more, who has knowledge and foreknowledge of what's to come. So if I, God's on my side and I'm going into a battle, should I be fearful? No. But yet we struggle with fear. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Talking about Satan himself, the most powerful being on this planet. Yet I'm not supposed to be fearful at all because God, he's a joke to God. I mean, look, when he goes and speaks to him in the book of Job. How does Satan come in? God, let me just tell you what's going on. No, he's like, hey, God, I just <laughs> hoping I get to, you know, uh, Job, what about Job? Uh, that's the way he is. Recognize the fact that we're fearful of him, and we should be, but not because of the fact that he has control, because if we put our faith in God, there is nothing to fear. Romans 8.31 says this, For what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. No one. No one. But is this the way we think? Or is it just the way we talk? Because it sounds really good. It sounds super godly, man. Sounds awesome, man. Hey, man. Huh, God be for us. Who can be against us? Yes, sir. And in the conversation, we might have that faith. But when a circumstance comes, we start to shake. Talk is cheap. Joshua's not just talking about the preparation of going across. He's saying, look, we're going to do this thing. We're going. In three days, we will cross. So first, we see the positioning of Joshua. Then second, we see the plan for God's people. And then third, we see the provision for the flesh. And we all go, ooh, provision for the flesh? What exactly are you saying there? God? I mean, God doesn't, he doesn't make provision for the flesh. For the flesh? Understand, what I'm talking about is this. God does make provision for the flesh because He gives us free will. You and I get to choose. These soldiers will get to choose. The people will get to choose what they're going to do. They know what they're supposed to do, but will they follow through? God gives us free will for the specific purpose because guess what? Without free will, you cannot worship. Not true worship. And you guess you can't love. And God wants our love and He wants our worship. So his provision for the flesh is the opportunity for them to choose. 
Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5.15. That, that He died for all, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they which live, that's us, born again, risen, brought to life, quickened by Christ, he says, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Should not. Doesn't say that they will do right. Doesn't mean that they're going to live properly. It says that they should not. Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we deny these things. We stay away from them. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. 1 Peter 2.24, who is who his own self bear our sins in his body, in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Should, should, should. Doesn't say will. We should. You and I should do the right thing. We should honor God. We should love Him. We should trust Him. We should walk by faith, but it doesn't mean that we will. The provision for the faith, or the provision for the flesh, is gives us an opportunity to rise and to grow and to develop in our faith. We should be all about fulfilling God's will and not our own. But are we? Are we fulfilling God's will? Free will is a blessing to those that worship and love God. Amen. But guess what? It's a curse to those who don't. Because if we're not searching, seeking the Lord, we're fulfilling our flesh, falling into sin. Which brings us to this passage, the rest of our message. Verses 12 through 15. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to half the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, and what we find here is this is a, nine and a half of the tribes, they were spoken to by the leadership. But this little group here, Joshua speaks to them himself. He says, you know what, let me address this with them. He says this in verse 13. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Remember, he says, I remember the deal. I was there when you talked to Moses. I was there when you said, hey, man, this land looks awesome, dude. We got all these cows and all these chickens and all this stuff. We got all these grazing animals. Look at all the grassland. Hey, Moses, could we just have this? Because this looks perfect for us. I mean, this looks fantastic. We love it. And he said, well, you know what? You can. But if, only if, if you will send your soldiers to fight with all of your brothers. And at the end of that, you know what? I'll allow it. I'll allow you to have this land. And look in verse 14. He says, Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord your Lord hath given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then you shall, then she, then you shall return unto the land of your, of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the sunrise. And this is a couple of interesting things that we need to pay attention to. Remember, several weeks ago, we talked about, we had a message that was called God is with us. And in that message, we talked about the fact that God established boundaries for His promise. Remember that? The boundaries. So God placed limitations back in Joshua 1, verses 2 through 4. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. He's saying, look, all twelve tribes I provided for you. You're to cross the Jordan, the border of the promised land, get into the promised land. All twelve of you, go. All twelve tribes. All twelve of you, that would have been. Every place, right? And the border. So the first border that we see is Jordan. That's the border. And remember, the promise had limitations. It had borders. Verse 3, 
Every place that the sole of your foot shall, trend, shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness, right? The border of the wilderness in Canaan is right here. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. This is the promise for the Canaan and Canaan only. The land that is west of the Jordan, west of the Jordan. But the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, what did they choose? It says in that verse, on this side of the Jordan toward the sun rising. So God says, you're supposed to be in the west. And they go, well, you know what? We'll be in the east. Now, there's another detail that's interesting to pay attention to. So we look at the promise here and specifically what God says in verse 15. Until the Lord hath given your brethren rest, as he hath given you, and they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Okay, listen to the wording there. The Lord your God giveth them. But look at what it says about the two and a half tribes. Verse continues. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you. One came from God. One came from man. Okay? That's an important point. When you and I are figuring out where it is we're going, are we seeking what God has for us? Or are we seeking what man has for us? This is not by accident that God specifically tells us this. Scripture, guys, every word is important. And you see, this land, it was beautiful. It was lush. It was incredible. They looked and just said, could it get any better than this? They've not even seen Canaan yet. But they're ready to settle. They haven't seen what God has to offer in the land flowing with milk and honey. But yet, they're really willing to give up their inheritance for what it is they see right now. Now, the whole thing is, God says, look, the promise is for right where I told you it was going to be in the very beginning. Not near it. Not close to it. Not beside it. In it. Your promise is for inside of it. And what happens to them? What happens to them? They've gotten right here. He brought them all the way through everything. They've gotten all this way. And because they saw something that looked good, something that caught their eye, something that fulfilled their flesh, they decided to settle where they wanted, what they wanted for themselves instead of what God wanted for them. Guys, listen to this. It's important. We need not settle for what we want. We want to settle for what God has for us. You'll live a life thinking you're being fulfilled, but in reality, finding out that you missed the boat. Yeah. We missed out on who it is we were supposed to be. That's right. How close are we willing to get? They chose what they wanted, not what God wanted, because it looked good. And we've all done this. We can look in our lives and know what God should have us to do in a situation and choose to fulfill our flesh. We know we should do these things. We know we should surrender to God. We know we should give our hearts to Him. We could commit our time to God's Word. We could commit our time to, to prayer. We could commit our time to God's people. But sometimes we just somehow find a way to end up serving ourselves. We miss out on what He has for us. And because of their choice, being just outside the promise. When you go to the book of 1 Chronicles, verses 5 through 25, or verses 525 through 26, listen to this. 
And they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. As the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath, Pilnasser, let's go with that, king of Assyria, and he carried them away. Look, look who carried away. Listen. The Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he brought them unto Hala and Habor and Hala unto the river of Gozan. And listen to this. Unto this day. They lost everything in the moment. We got it all. We could want nothing else, guys. Hey, hey Manasseh, you got to get in on this, bruh. Check it out. Hey, Gadites, get over here. Bro. Did you check it out? You know we got all these animals. This is a perfect fit for us. Yeah, yeah, we don't need God's promise. Let's just settle here. This looks great. They lose it all, man. To this day, it's gone. It's not theirs. Gone. When God reformed Israel, guess what? That's not part of it. Still to this day, they lost everything. It all comes down to choices. And this reminded me, as I was reading this, man, it just jumped off the page to me. I thought about Paul speaking to King Agrippa. Paul has been taken captive. He's been taken captive. The Jews are after him, man. Here he is. He tells his story. He's gone between before. He goes before uh, to Felix, and he lays his heart out to him. He tells him his story, and Felix is like, eh, whatever. But there's this guy, Festus, who's one of the Romans. And Festus is like, you know what? Hey, I got this guy. He's like a wild man. I don't know what's going on, but the, the Jews want to kill him. And Agrippa hears the story. Agrippa, man, he's, he knows the Jewish stories. He knows about what, what, he knows the prophecies. And he says, you know what? Let me hear from this guy. Bring this Paul to me. Paul's in chains, man. He's ready to be carried away. And here it is. This is when Paul comes. He shares his testimony, pours out his heart to him, tells him who he is. Acts 26, verse 21 through 28. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Okay, they're after me. Verse 22, having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day, witnessing both to small and great. I talked to everybody, saying none of the things. I didn't say anything extra. I didn't add than those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come. I'm just telling them the prophecies of God. That's all I'm telling them. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and then should show light unto the people and unto the Gentiles. And he thus, and as he thus spake, uh, spake for himself, Festus, right? Festus is there and he's watching this whole thing. And he's been listening. He's not convinced. This is what he says. Festus says with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Dude, you're crazy. Much learning doth make thee mad. Your education has made you sound like a crazy person. Paul, you need to shut your mouth. Listen to this. And he says, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the first time in my life, I'm speaking the truth. Listen to this. For the king, listen, for the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. Look, Agrippa, I know you know this. You know the law. You know the prophets. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not professing things you've not heard before. Agrippa, listen. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, listen to this as he pleased to him. King Agrippa, Believest thou the prophets? Do you believe the word of God, king? Do you believe it? I know that thou believest. I know you do, Agrippa. I know you do. Verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. You got really close. Boy, you got me right up to the border. Almost. Almost. Right to the edge of salvation, almost. 
You know what almost equals in salvation? An eternity in hell. Filled with regret of what I should have done. Reliving those moments over and over and over again. I can promise you right now, as Agrippa screams in pain, he's going, oh, if it had only been just a few more seconds, if I had just made the right choice, I wouldn't be here. I got so close. I got right to the edge. I got right to the border. I was standing right there. I could have crossed over. But I let my pride have control. How could I turn my back on all of these people that are looking to me as this Jewish leader? The pressures of the world. If you're here today, man, let me tell you. If you're trusting anything outside of the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care what it is, your religion, your good works, your heritage, whatever it is you may believe. If you're online and you're watching this, hear me, man. There's nothing but Jesus. That's it. I am the way and the truth and life, and no man coming to the Father but by me. Amen. And if you're trusting in anything else, you are going to get... Now listen, can you be religious? Yes. Can you read the Bible? Yes. Can you pray? Yes. Can you believe in God? Yes. And you can get this close and die and go to hell because you're almost there. It is faith in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Now, child of God. Hey, we're saved, man. Praise the Lord. Are we living this life in the promised land? Enjoying the victories? Are we walking as conquerors in fellowship with God? I mean, or are we living a life that is literally giving glory and honor to God because of the righteous way that we choose to live? The things we focus on, the things we listen to, the things that we talk about, the thoughts that go through our mind. We're a picture of the Lord. We're in fellowship with God because we're in that abundant life. Praise the Lord. Or we maybe have allowed our eyes to affect our hearts. We look at our culture. We look at our world. And it starts to impact us. And where one day I'm holding on to God, the next day I'm on social media, watching videos, and allowing these things to cause fear to rise up in my heart. And the very promise that I'm supposed to be holding on to, the place I'm supposed to be, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. This world, man, guess what? It's going to always be trying to lure us away from God through anything it possibly can. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There was a time in our lives when that's all we had. When you're lost, that's all you got. Why do we cram all the sin that we can into ourselves? Because we're trying to fulfill ourselves. Because all we have is the lust of the, lust of the flesh, the, pride, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all you got. And then God saves us. And praise the Lord, the void that was in us is gone. What in the world are we doing? Allowing the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to still have hold of us. God's given us all we need. He says, why aren't you in the abundant life? Because guess what? I gave you a provision for your flesh. You get to choose. I want to see who you really are. Will you worship me? Will you love me? Will you surrender to me? Titus 2.12 said this, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And what happens is a lot of people can sit and go, you know what? My life's pretty calm and collected right now. You know, I, I don't really have any really open sin that I'm battling with per se. I'm not dealing with strife right now, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably good. I'm probably in the abundant life. 
And we can tell ourselves that we are. And we can say, you know, because I'm not going through certain things, this is pretty good. The land's pretty lush. Looks like it'll pretty much fulfill and fit my needs. And we can be just on the border, almost there. Why does it take calamity to bring us to God? Why does it take some adversity that's got to come and break our hearts to make us finally realize who it is we need? It's a shame that so many marriages fall apart. And you know what happens? People don't work on their relationship. They don't seek to have that fulfilling life. And because they won't pour into it, it takes something calamitous to come to wake them up to realize what it is they've been given. And I pray that's not the case for us. Because I'm telling you, when it comes, oh, it'll change your life. But it's not a positive experience. What if we could just surrender to God now? What if we could just trust Him now? What if we could just walk in fellowship with Him now? We can, allow the, we can choose to do, the things that God's, do things God's way and live the abundant life that He intends for us or we can allow the world around us, our circumstances or our desires to keep us in the wilderness. Because when it all comes down to it, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, when it all comes down to it, they chose the wilderness. Do you realize that? It was still wilderness. They got that close. They got within 100 feet. The Jordan's only 100 feet wide. And they said, you know what? We'll, we'll settle here. We've gone far enough. This fits us. The edge is good enough. You see, they found what was comfortable for them. And if we seek comfort over godliness, and we seek compromise over conviction, we'll be overthrown in the wilderness. It doesn't matter if your body dies a foot outside the promised land. You're still overthrown in the wilderness. And a majority of Christians, because they're not willing to realize that this thing is not about the getting out, but it's the getting in. And our focus and our energy should be upon that development of our walk with God so we can be in the abundant life that He has for us and we can experience what God has for us and we can experience what God can do with our life and how He can use us. My goodness gracious! We're our limiting factor is us. But He gave us that provision in the, in the, in the flesh so that we get to choose. We'll be, uh, in the end, it'll come down to this. Are we willing to go all the way for God? Or are we willing to listen to our flesh and allow it to get us to settle for almost? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today and God for the message you've given us. Thank you so much for the incredible insight uh, that the Word of God has. Lord, it teaches on so many different levels. We've learned today historically. We've learned today doctrinally. And Lord, we've learned today also devotionally. Help us, God, not only to learn and to see what's happened, but God, help us, Lord, to make changes in our own lives. If we are settling now, if we're close, but we're not there, God, help us not to settle. Help us not be willing to set up camp in the east. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful that we might keep our eyes on you. You've given us, Joshua, Jesus, that we can follow. God, you've given us a plan of action and exactly what it is that we should do. And you've given us provision for our flesh that we get to choose. Today is all about that, choosing. Will we follow God? Will we follow ourselves? We know the end result. 
And God, I pray that you'll help us. Help us, Lord, to surrender, to do things your way and not ours. Thank you for today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. Listen, if you're here today, and you say, you know what? Right now, if I die today, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. You talked about people that believe in God. That's me. Maybe I'm religious, yes. Maybe I read the Bible. Maybe I pray. Praise the Lord for all those things. But salvation is not a matter of just believing in God. It's a matter of surrendering our hearts to the Lord, trusting that He is the only way. If you're trusting in your works plus Jesus, you're lost. If you're trusting in your religion plus Jesus, you're lost. If you're trusting in your baptism plus Jesus, you're lost. I don't care what you're doing plus Jesus, you're lost. Because He is the only way. Faith is 100% in Him and Him alone. It's not 1% you and 99% Jesus. It's all Him. We're the problem. He's the solution. And because He loves us, because He loves us, He offers the gift of salvation to the world. It's an incredible, incredible reality. And as He calls out to you right now, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know where I am. But I want to know. I don't want to be fearful of death. I want to have confidence. I want to hold on to the promises of God and know that I can live them. That's what I need. That's what I want. What I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to pray. It will not be a ceremony or a magic prayer. If you think that it is, don't do it. This is a matter of the heart. God's listening to the heart. And as He calls out to us, he, all He needs for us to do is respond. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It won't be the prayer again. It's your heart that God's listening to. So as He calls out to you, if you want to respond, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray right now. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to pray this prayer and receive Christ as your Savior, He's listening to you. He's waiting on you. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know, God, that I deserve hell. I have failed you in every way. And I'm sorry. I come today by faith. And I'm asking you to give me of my sins. I'm asking you to, to pay the price for my debt that I cannot pay. And I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to save me. Lord, by faith, I'm trusting in you. By faith, I'm receiving the gift of salvation. And by faith, I turn from my old life and I want to live for you. Help me to seek godliness. Help me to live a life that will bring glory to your name. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's still bad. It's still closed. And listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you were sincere, you meant business with God, listen, we want to help you. Let us know Reach out to us. You're online and you say, you know what, I, I made that choice. Listen, reach out to us. We want to help you in your walk with God. There's a mission ahead of all of us. There's a promised land for all of us to attain. It's not through us. It's through God's strength and not our own. Thank you for being here today. Lord, I do pray that you'll help us, Lord, to be surrendered servants of Christ. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see the mission that's set ahead of us. Lord, help us to see and recognize that our fears and our failures, God, our faults, God, are when we take our eyes off of you. Help us to truly apply what we've heard today. Help us, Lord, to be like Joshua and walk by faith and not by sight. Help us not to settle for close and almost, but Lord, help us to go all the way. Thank you for today. I pray that you'll bless, guide, and direct us through the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.